Scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. We have here John's Christmas story. Let's pray before we read the Scripture. Into our darkness, come, Lord Jesus, and shine the light of your love through your word. Illumine for us your paths of righteousness and help us by your spirit now to turn to you to find life. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord, it is written. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Last Sunday, we began our Advent sermon series through the first chapter of John, verses 1 through 18. And we covered the first three verses, and we learned about who Jesus is as the Word of God. Pastor Scott stated in his sermon that this word spoken of by John is fully God, and so shares in all the attributes of God. As John's gospel tells us, the word was God. And John's gospel also tells us, though, that the word was with God. So as Pastor Scott explained, even as the word of God is fully God, the word of God is also distinct from God the Father. And this points us to the mystery of the Holy Trinity, that within one Godhead reside three persons, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you weren't here last Sunday and haven't uh, gone online to listen to Pastor Scott's sermon, I want to encourage you to do that, because in, in just the first few verses on which Pastor Scott preached last Sunday, John has already provided us with aspects of the nature of Jesus Christ, who is this Word of God, that reveal to us the glory and the grace of who Jesus is. And that's not even to mention what the Word of God would conjure in the mind of a Jew or a Greek living during the time of, that John was writing his gospel. For a Greek, the word, or logos, had a, a long philosophical history. In short, though, in an always changing and chaotic world, logos was thought to be what brought order and provided purpose that is so evident in the world around us. Logos is divine logic that holds everything together. For the Jew, the Word of God had an even richer tradition. It is creative. God speaks 
and creation comes into being. It's revelatory. The Word of God is the means by which God reveals Himself in His will. It also brings judgment and the promise of salvation. The Word of God is spoken through the prophets who declare, thus saith the Lord. And so, as one biblical scholar put it, the Word of God is His powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And so Pastor Scott encouraged us to meditate on the reality of what John is telling us here in these first few verses. Consider this. What we celebrate at Christmas is that the Word has taken on human flesh and dwelt among us. This is astounding. It is a staggering truth. And we need to consider what it means that in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We need to consider that the one through whom all things came into existence entered into his creation as fully human through the Virgin Mary. We can't move past this season, though, without considering why God would take on human flesh and dwell among us in Jesus Christ. Jesus comes with a purpose. And John, from the outset of his gospel, wants us to understand this purpose. He lays out for us here in this prologue to his gospel, then, the reason why the Word of God has come. And so even as we have considered what it means that Jesus is the Word of God, this morning we're going to consider Jesus as life and light. This is what John tells us in verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Now, John will go on to demonstrate throughout his gospel how Jesus is both life and light. These are major themes in John's gospel. This morning, we want to get just a taste of the truths that John is pointing us to concerning Jesus as life and light by reflecting on each of these aspects of who Jesus is. So, first... Jesus is declared by John to be life. Verse 4, in him was life. Now, considering that John has taken us back to the beginning and has reminded us of the opening chapter of Genesis in his opening verses of his gospel, it's reasonable to understand John to be referring to physical creation and the life that we find there. John has just said in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We understand that the second person of the Godhead, the Word, to be the source of all life. God spoke all creation into being and has caused there to be life. And through the Word then, that creation comes into existence. So not merely does the word exist, not only does he possess life, but life is found in him and comes through him. In fact, without him, nothing exists. Without him providing life, there is no life. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in his letter to the Colossians. For by him, meaning Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If Jesus Christ, this one who was born in Bethlehem, is the word of God and is life, then he is the same one who is preeminent over all of creation. Without him, things cease to be. Stop and consider at some point during this Advent and Christmas season the reality that the creator and sustainer of life has entered into his creation in Jesus Christ. But we also need to understand here that John does not intend to limit what he says about life being in Jesus to physical life. Again, life is a major theme in John's gospel. In fact, the word life appears 36 times in the gospel of John, far more than any other New Testament book. And John means to point us to who Jesus truly is by lifting up this theme of life. Remember, Scott shared with us what John said was the purpose of his gospel. And John's own words, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. And so we begin to see the purpose of why Jesus Christ came. He came as the life giver to give life. Jesus was born as a man for this purpose. Jesus says of himself later in John's gospel in chapter 10, he declares, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this isn't simply physical life he's referring to. It is eternal life. This is how John is usually speaking of life. John 3.16, we know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. And we have this confirmed for us in 1 John where John speaks of the word of life, which John goes on to state, the life, now listen to this, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's speaking of Jesus in the same way there that he's speaking of him here in John chapter 1. Now, in no other world religion do we see something like this. The other major world religions that hold to some form of life after death, the founder always only merely pointed to eternal life. But notice what John is announcing to us here. Jesus doesn't merely point to eternal life. He is eternal life. This is what John tells us in his gospel. In John chapter 14, Jesus declared himself to be the way, the truth, and what? The life. Earlier in John, in chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is precisely what John is repeating to us in his first epistle. The one who is born in Bethlehem is life. 
It means that if we are going to have life, true life, then we must have Jesus Christ. And how is it that we come to be united to Jesus Christ? It's by faith. John tells us this in John 3.16. And John will point us to this truth later in chapter 1 when he mentions that those who receive him, who believed in his name, are given the right to become children of God. And after John identified him, Jesus identified himself to be the resurrection and the life, he stated, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Believing in Christ unites us to him in a way that we are given life through him who is life. But eternal life isn't meant to be something that comes in the future. It is life that God has and God gives to be lived in us now. It's life that begins the moment we believe on Jesus. The moment we place faith in Christ and are united to him, we have life. And that life never ends. When Jesus spoke of eternal life, he spoke of it in the present tense. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But we should also note here that in John's gospel, the opposite of eternal life is not simply death. It is eternal condemnation. In John chapter 3 verse 36, we are told whoever believes in the Son has eternal life Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If we are detached, separated from the source of life, then we are dead. But it is more than that because our rebellion against God is sin. It is transgression against God that must be punished according to God's perfect justice. So as one Reformed author and pastor put it, To receive eternal life is to be saved from God's holy judgment and enter into Christ's eternal reign of glory. This is why the prophet Isaiah prophesied the coming Messiah to be the prince of peace. If the purpose of Jesus is to bring eternal life, which is eternal life in the presence of God, our sins must be dealt with. So Jesus comes to deal with decisively with our sins on Calvary's cross. Bethlehem has Calvary in view. The shadow of the cross hangs heavy over the manger. Jesus was born to die. He was born to die a sacrificial, substitutionary, atoning death in order that we might be forgiven of our sins and thus set at peace with the Father. This is all for the purpose of receiving eternal life in Jesus Christ, that we might spend eternity in his presence. And this makes our decision concerning Jesus the most important decision that we will ever make. 
It's a decision that has consequences in the here and now, but it also has eternal consequences. It's not a decision then that should be approached lightly. We should, as Jesus instructs, count the costs of following him. We should count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. We should also count the cost of not following Jesus. Do we desire life, true life, eternal life in God's presence and peace? Then believe on Jesus Christ and follow him. He is life. Second, Jesus is declared to be light. Verse 4 again, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. John tells us that the life that Jesus is and brings into his creation is light. And just like how God is life and gives life to his creation, God also creates light by speaking it into existence in Genesis 1. Light has its origin in God. And this light allows for life, for the growth of plants and animals. It also allows revelation. When the light shines, we see the splendor and goodness of what God has made. It, it allows us to glean some information, some knowledge of who God is. But just as we saw with Jesus being life, what we understand by light goes beyond what we might think of in Genesis 1. John's gospel reveals to us that light, just like life, has a spiritual dimension. But to understand who Jesus is as the light, we have to consider the meaning or meanings of light as seen in the Old Testament. Certainly one important aspect is that the shining of the glory of God's presence in the cloud during the Exodus served as a means by which God led his people to the promised land and protected them from their enemies. So God's people sang, as in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Also, the word of God, the law of God, was understood to be a light that served to guide on the path for those who loved and feared the Lord. Remember Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It illumines for us God's perfect way. The psalmist also cries out to the Lord in Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light in your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling." So again, there is that idea of God's light serving as a guide. It is a guide that leads to life and salvation. And by no means should we forget about life, light as it appears in the prophets. The prophet Habakkuk, who described God's presence at Mount Sinai in this way, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. The light then relates to God's revelation of himself. And God also spoke through the prophet Isaiah concerning the coming Messiah, declaring, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach 
to the end of the earth. And then there was Zechariah who prophesied the coming day when there would be continual light. As it is written, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. Jesus himself revealed to John in the book of the Revelation that in God's eternal kingdom, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. All of these ideas, these concepts, these truths become bound up in who Jesus is. He embodies them. Jesus comes to reveal who God is. Later in this prologue to John's gospel, John will say, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In his time on earth, Jesus exegeted the Father. Jesus expounded God to us. Jesus fully revealed God to us in his earthly ministry. If you want to know who God is, what God the Father is like, then look at Jesus. He gives to us a trustworthy witness. Jesus tells his disciples, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus can reveal God to us in this way because he is fully God. Jesus is light in this way. He reveals God to us. The word takes on flesh in order to shine the light of the knowledge of God to all humankind, to reveal God to us, to reveal the truth of God's love and grace and justice and wisdom and holiness. He does this that we might know God, truly know God. Why? Because as Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Again, Jesus' purpose is that we might have eternal life, that we might no longer walk in darkness in regard to who God is, that we might not remain ignorant to who God is, but truly know him. And in knowing him, we might love and worship and obey him and be saved. Jesus provides for us saving knowledge of who God is. Jesus also serves as a guide for us. He provides a light for us, illuminating for us the way of God and his righteousness. Jesus comes teaching and preaching in both word and deed what it looks like to live in obedience to God and to have a loving relationship with him. Jesus embodies these things as well, doesn't he? Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Following in the way of Jesus is walking in the light. It is living according to God's way. It is living according to his wisdom, and that gives us life. 
But we also notice here in John's prologue to his gospel that light is set in opposition to darkness. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We see this battle between light and darkness throughout John's gospel. If light stands for knowledge of God, then darkness represents the spiritual ignorance in which the world is perishing. If light leads us in good and godly paths, then darkness is the realm of the lost and spiritually blind. If light brings life, then darkness is the realm of death. The truth of the matter is that Jesus doesn't just bring to light who God is. He also shines the light on who we are and the spiritual reality of this fallen world. In his light, we see ourselves as we truly are. He reveals to us our fallen, sinful nature. In light of his perfect obedience, he reveals to us our sinful disobedience. He exposes us for who we are. We are those who love darkness because our deeds are evil. We love the darkness because it hides our sinful ways. The darkness provides cover for us to do wicked things. Jesus comes to reveal to us the bad news about ourselves. But Jesus also comes to bring the light of salvation to a world living under the darkness of sin. He is good news because he comes to open blind eyes and to provide spiritual illumination to darkened minds. He comes to reveal to us the way of salvation. If only we would humble ourselves and believe in him. And if anyone tells you that people are basically good and are not in need of salvation, then you should remind them of what happened to Jesus. He came without any sin. He came healing and teaching the way of God. He came showing God's love and demonstrating his grace. He came to offer peace. He was light shining in darkness. And how did the world respond to him? The world hated him. The world hated him for exposing their hypocrisy and legalism and thirst for power and wealth and pleasure. They hated him for shining light on their wickedness. They hated him so much that they nailed him to a cross the cruelest form of execution the world could possibly devise. And people still despise him today because of the light he shines. When the truth of God is proclaimed, people still seek to silence it. They turn to false religions and science to seek enlightenment instead of Jesus in order that they don't have to face their own unworthiness in sin. People resent the life of Jesus and his teachings because the light of Christ exposes their sin. People today still flee from the light. And there are many who refuse to acknowledge who they are, sinners in need of salvation. They will not humble themselves before God and confess their sin, admit their need of God's grace, and flee to Jesus Christ for salvation. Beloved, how about us? Do we love darkness? Or are we willing to humble ourselves before the Lord and come into his marvelous light? But here's what John tells us from the beginning of his gospel. 
the light of God and the darkness of evil came into bitter conflict when the word of God took on flesh in Jesus Christ. And this conflict was decisive, revealing that darkness could not prevail against the light. The darkness seemed to be victorious when Jesus Christ was put to death. The one who is life was killed, and yet he lived. The light would not be extinguished. The darkness of death would not have the final word. It is not able to overcome him. Quite the opposite. Jesus came to defeat the darkness and death. Why then, might you ask, is there still so much darkness in the world? A very good question. A scholar, D.A. Carson, gives us the reason for this continuing battle between darkness and light. As Carson writes, in this age of an inaugurated but not yet consummated kingdom, the light is still in mortal combat with darkness. The kingdom of light that Jesus ushered in is here, but it has not yet been brought to fruition. Darkness remains as God gathers all those who belong to him into the kingdom of light. But make no mistake, a day will come when God's kingdom will come in its fullness as scripture declares and the darkness will once and for all be done away with. And all those who love the Lord and have placed their faith in him will live in his everlasting light. But those who have loved the darkness will be sent to their eternal condemnation. Brothers and sisters, the season of Advent reminds us that the one who is life and light has come into this world. He has overcome the darkness, and he is coming again to finally destroy the darkness and bring judgment. Advent is a season for us to repent of the darkness and to turn again to Jesus Christ and walk in the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us today to stop trusting in ourselves to stop wandering lost in darkness and to surrender ourselves to him. Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If there are any then here today who do not know Jesus Christ, I declare to you that the light has come in Jesus Christ and is shining brightly through God's word. Come, come to the light. Apart from him, we live in darkness and death. So believe in him and you will be granted life, life everlasting, life abundant, life in Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into the world as light and life. Father, we Thank you that he has revealed to us who you are. He has shown us who we are. Lord, give us strength to repent of the darkness, to turn from our sinful ways, to turn to you, to find true life, eternal life in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Nicene Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father.